Uh, we're on a series, and we've been on it for nine weeks, and we've been working off one passage in particular, and this morning is the last um, day that we're going to read this entire passage, because uh, we're right at the end of it. And uh, at the beginning, I uh, said the words that um, this is all you need to know about marriage, right here, on this one passage. Lots of books have been written on it, but here, all these books have been written off this one passage in regards to marriage. So it's, it kind of makes me sad that this is the last morning we're going to read it, but uh, we're going to move on because we're going to get through the book of Ephesians Ephesians before, um, before a year and a half is over. We'll see how we can do it. We'll try to get it done before, before Easter, and, and uh, I think we'll be able to. But I'm going to read it for one last time, and then if this is your first time um, in the passage, you'll see um, underlined uh, verse, chapter, or verse 32, and that is where we're really going to um, work on this morning. And, uh, and go through um, that one statement, just a couple words, but the one statement, the mystery that God has with his church. Let's read the entire passage and see it in context. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, and Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing with water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory and having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless." So husbands ought to also love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. You might notice that that's in the NASB, and we've been doing the NIV, but um, um, I really like the verse 32 with the NASB. Um, the mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. And it follows the passage or the verse in 31 that says this, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But then he says the words, but I'm not speaking about you and your husband or you and your wife. I'm speaking about Christ and his church. And then he just continues to move on. Nevertheless, each of you individuals must also love your wife, and your wives are supposed to respect their husbands. I mean, the Bible is, has a great sense of humor, just in a sense that as it will speak through something, and you will follow it, and you will love it. Marriage, this is a passage completely and entirely about marriage, and all of a sudden, something is dropped, something that is said that carries so much power, and as it carries so much power, we just overlook it, and we just keep on going, and we don't even know exactly what it said. Well, God just kind of dropped a bomb on us. He thinks we're talking about marriage, but he uses the words. This mystery is absolutely great, 
but I'm not even talking about your marriage. I'm talking about me and the church. And then he just continues to move on. What is this word mystery? What is this word mystery? Mystery is a, uh, the definition of mystery is a hidden thing, a secret, something that's not obvious to the understanding. So we can say there is a mystery between husbands and wives, but there is a more in-depth mystery between Christ and his church. In other words, there's hidden things, there's secrets, there's a, not something that's obvious to your understanding that is going to take place one day. What does that mean? That means there's going to be a day that we're going to say, God, I can't believe you were doing that. In fact, God, you know, I had this, this picture of you in my mind, and all of a sudden I, I move into heaven, and now everything comes into perspective, and I can't believe it. Do you mean, God, you are like walking with me all the time? Do you mean you love me in this way all the time? There's a mystery out there that we cannot even fathom. And according to this passage, it says, the mystery is great. See, we are people that think we know everything about God. We are people that think we know everything about what is going on. Um, We know some, but we don't know everything. Deuteronomy 29, 29, it's not in your notes, but it's on the screen. The secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of the law. What is that saying? God is saying, I have some secret things. I have some things that you don't know what's going on, and I'm going to keep them to myself. But you have the Word, and within the Word, you'll be able to read it, you'll be able to study it, you'll be able to touch light of these secret things, but when you get to heaven, you will know more about me that one day that you get to heaven than you've studied in your entire life, because I have some secret things that are huge, and you'll be shocked the day that you see me and understand all. So what we can do with this sermon, with the Word, is that we can study the Word of God, and as we study the Word of God, exactly what it says, we have to relax a little bit and say, well, I don't completely understand everything that's going to happen, but I do understand what the Word says, and I believe it, and if I believe it, I can soak on what the Word says, and then I can relax and say, it's probably going to be a whole bunch better when I get to heaven, a whole bunch better when I get to heaven. So let's just work on this word mystery. The mystery is absolutely great. Well, that means I can't explain it. I can't talk about it. It's beyond our mind. It's beyond our understanding, and we'll be shocked. But we can take the word, and we will work with the word and figure some things out of what the Bible says, and then all of a sudden it just gets better and better and better and better. Here's a part of the mystery. Number one, God's main mission is not to rule us, yet he does. Shepherd us, yet he does. Guide us, yet he does. It is to marry us. One day there's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb. And that is the day that we're going to stand before God face to face as what? As his bride. And then all the way through Scripture it talks about God being the bridegroom. Now, this is a mystery that we cannot completely understand of what's going to take place, but God wants us to know it. And the reason why is because it is consistently in the Word saying, in the last days, you are going to stand face to face with God, and the picture is not even going to be a judgment seat 
or even a, a judge or a, a courtroom, it's going to be a wedding scene that is going to take place. Revelation 19 says this, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe himself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Revelation 21, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. One day we're gonna see God face to face and it's gonna look exactly like a wedding. Now what does this tell us about now in regards to our relationship with God? One day that this is gonna happen and we know it's gonna happen because it's written in scripture, but what does it tell us right now about our relationship with God? Number two, if we're Christ's future spouse, then we can understand how he feels about us. There's lots of religions out there in this world, over 3,000 different religions, and I don't think they've gathered all of them, but so many different religions in this world, and I just want you guys to know that you are the most radical religion there is. <laughs> You're in the most crazy religion there is. You're in a religion that separates all other religions. In fact, you can say there's only two different religions. All religions compiled in this one, and then there's other religion called Christianity that is just so different than every single, every single religion that it doesn't even come close or even compare with the other religions. What's the difference? The creator loves us, that's it. The God, the one who created, loves us. That's the difference of Christianity in every single religion. Every single religion says, we need to impress God. We need to work towards God. We need to make sure that we can impress God so he will you know, even look at us, even want us, even desire us. Christianity says, God loves you. God rejoices over you. And I would not be preaching this sermon if it wasn't in the word of God. Because it is a crazy statement that you can hear the word of God saying, God rejoices over you as a bride. Isaiah 62 says this, for as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will do what? Will rejoice over you. God loves us. Let's look back in a little bit what we've been talking about. Remember I said the words that your spouse has the ability to reprogram your self-appreciation? In other words, if you do not feel good about yourself, if your spouse looks at you and says, well, I feel good about you, well, I love you, what it does is it reprograms your mind. The whole world can say, you're no good, but when your spouse says you're good, it reprograms your mind. If you don't feel like you're smart and your spouse says that you're smart, what's gonna happen? Your mind is even gonna be reprogrammed because of the one flesh relationship that has taken place. If you're spouse says that you're beautiful and you don't think you're beautiful, do you know what it's gonna do? It's gonna reprogram their mind. Well, here we have this word, you hear this mystery. One flesh relationship, but I'm not even talking about husbands and wife, I'm talking about Christ and his what? Church. And what he thinks about you does what? Reprograms your mind, reprograms your thinking, reprograms your behavior, reprograms everything who you are because you are all of a sudden a nobody until you find God and then all of a sudden you understand that you're made in the image of God. And the God that created you does what? According to this passage, rejoices over you. Rejoices over you. Matthew 9, 14, some of John the Baptist's disciples came up to Jesus 
And, and the other disciples, and they asked him a question. This is what the question they asked. Then the disciples of John came up to him asking, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And this is Jesus' words. And Jesus said to them, the tenants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. He said, the bridegroom's right here. And these people are connected with me. It's not a time to mourn because I am here right now. Can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is going to be taken away from them, and then they can fast then. Don't mourn when the bridegroom is standing right in front of you. Yeah, right now, yes, we can mourn. Yes, we can fast. We can pray. But there's going to be one day that we're just going to feast. We're going to celebrate. Why? Because we'll be in the presence of God, the presence of the Lord. And that is what we're moving for. That's what we're working towards. Number three, if we are Christ's future spouse, then we can understand what kind of relationship we should have with him. We understand a relationship that we should have with our mates, and I will say that there's not a single perfect mate in this room, but we know what a perfect mate is. In fact, we aspire to be married to the perfect mate, a mate that will communicate with you, a mate that will spend time with you, a mate that will appreciate you, a mate that will be excited about you, a mate that will work alongside you, a mate that will enjoy you, a mate that will celebrate with you, a mate that loves you to the point that you feel connected walking as one body. What is a Christian? Keith Green gives the best answer to what a Christian is, and he just gives a, a fast statement. What's a Christian? He says this, Christian is somebody who's bananas for Jesus. Somebody who's just bananas for Jesus, who loves God with all the heart, heart soul, strength, and mind and love others as themselves. That's what a Christian is. A person that just overflows his love with God. Let's go back to the two commandments. What is, God says this is the most important commandment. What, to, to serve him, is that the most important commandment? To worship him, is that the most important commandment? Look at the most important commandment. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. I command you to do that. I command you to love me. I command you to fall in love with me. I command you to be with me. I command you to be connected with me. I command you to, to talk with me and to socialize with me. I command you to open up the Bible every single morning and hear the words of my mouth and pray to me and let you hear the words of mine as we're walking together through life. The most important commandment is this. Jeremiah 2.32 says this, Can a virgin forget her ornaments, or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. You look at these first sentences, and it's kind of a stupid statement. Can a virgin forget her ornaments, or a bride forget her attire? You know, I do weddings, and, uh, and as I do lots of different weddings that take place, I've never had a bride get ready to walk down the aisle and say, Oh my goodness, I forgot to do my hair. <laughs> no, she's been doing her hair all morning. Why? Because it's her, it's her wedding day. Or a bride stand at the end and say, Oh my goodness, I forgot to put on my wedding dress. I paid $500 for it, $1,000 for it. I don't even know what they're worth anymore. But I bought this beautiful wedding dress and I'm getting ready to be handed to my bridegroom and I forgot to put it on. <laughs> Maybe I better get rid of my jeans and go back and put it on. No, a bride does not forget her attire. She works on it, I, I mean, I don't know. I think she works on it all day, right before the wedding. Can a bride forget her ornaments? 
or bride forget our attire? No, that's stupid. Yet, my people have forgotten me days without number. Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. The number one commandment is to love the Lord God with all your soul, strength, and mind. He wants this relationship with you, and then he looks at us and says, well, you forget me days without number. You don't communicate with me. You don't talk with me. You don't tell me you love me. You're not connected with me. You're not in this husband and wife relationship. Remember, we're going to get married, but we are engaged today. And as we are engaged today, we're supposed to grow this relationship with the Father, with God. Number four, if we are Christ's future spouse and we can understand what sin is. When we start talking about sin, we, we get definitions that come out, and, and a lot of the definitions is sin is doing something bad, or um, sin is, is breaking the law, um, sin is disobedience, sin is doing something that you're not supposed to do. But when you look at the concept and the perspective that you are one day going to be married to God and today that you are literally in, engaged to him, sin takes a different turn. And the Bible speaks of this different turn. What is sin? Sin is turning good things into ultimate things. Sin is turning a good thing into an ultimate thing. And when you turn a good thing into an ultimate thing, it takes you and it owns you and it sends you and makes you into a wild animal. Sin will take you further than you ever intended to stray. Sin will keep you longer than you ever intended to stay. And sin will cost you more than you ever intended to pay. I don't know who did that quote. But the quote is, I just love something a lot more than God. And as you embrace something more than God, you start sending yourself a direction. And as you start sending yourself a direction, you do start turning into an animal. And it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. Letter A, sin is adultery. Sin is loving anything more than God or giving your hearts to another besides God. There's a story about this husband and wife, and the husband was spending a lot more time with his wife or with another girl than his wife. In fact, he was working with this other girl, so they started traveling together, and they'd talk on the phones in the evening together, and as they were talking on the phones, they would converse and share their aspirations, and they would sit there and they'd share their dreams, and, and they even started to confide in each other, and the wife was sitting there watching all of this take place. And as she's watching all this takes place, she finally confronts her husband and said, I don't understand what's going on, but it does not look good. And the husband got very, very defensive and says, what? What's your problem? I mean, you have my legal signature in the sense that we are married. I'm not married to her. You're married to me. You live in my house. You have my children. You carry my last name. In fact, everything it seems like I have is, is completely yours. And the wife responds, yes, I have everything of yours except your heart, you idiot. I have it all except your heart. And if I don't have your heart, quite frankly, I don't have anything. Well, it's a stupid story. But why is it a stupid story? Because it's not like a conversation like that would take place. Yet it is a context of that conversation of how we often live with God. In the sense that, you know, I've been baptized, you know, I say I believe, I, 
I, you know, I give money. You know, I come to church every single week. You have all my money, God. You have, you have some of my time. Do you see how much I'm serving you, God? Do you see how much I'm taking care of you? Do you see how much things are getting done as a result of me? And God just wants to respond, yes, thank you. I have everything of yours except your heart. You don't know me. It's a scary words that's going to come to so many people when they stand in front of Jesus. Is the words, depart from me, you cursed ones, because I never knew who you were. We never, we never had this relationship. You're supposed to be celebrating with me through life because someday you're going to be connected with me as a bride. But yet, yeah, you're using me on earth. You've got all my things. You're working towards me, but you don't have my heart. Don't know who you are. James 4 says this, you adulteress. Do you not know that your friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy towards God? I mean, he has the audacity to call us adulterous. Why would he have audacity to call us adulterous people? The reason why is because one day we're going to be connected with him completely in eternity. And the bridegroom is going to come for his bride, and we're in bed with everything else in this world. Rather than connected with him. First John 2.15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What's that talking about? Something else possessing your heart that's beyond him, above him, something that you hold on to, something you will not let go of. The Old Testament gets um, even more aggressive in regards to this relationship. And uh, he is speaking here of Israel, and he has granted Israel so many different things. I've given you this, I've given you this, I've given you this, and as I've given you so many different blessings, you fell in love with these blessings, and what does he call them? He calls them prostitutes. Let's read this passage. Ezekiel 16, 13 says this. So you were adorned with gold and silver, talking about Israel, talking about his people. Your clothes were fine linen and costly fabric and broided cloth. Your food was fine flour, honey and olive. You became very beautiful and rose to be a queen and your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty. Because the splendor I had given you made your beauty so perfect, declares the sovereign Lord. But you trusted in your beauty, and you used your fame to become a prostitute. You lavished your favors on anyone who passed by, and your beauty became his. You also took the fine jewelry I gave you, the jewelry made by my gold and silver, and you made for yourself male idols and engaged into prostitution with them. You engaged into prostitution with the Egyptians, your lustful neighbors, and provoked me to anger with your increasing promiscuity. You engaged into prostitution with the Syrians too, because you are insatiable, and even more than that, you are still not satisfied." You adulterous wife, you preferred strangers to your own husband. Every prostitute receives a fee, but you give gifts to all your lovers, bribing them to come to you from everywhere from your illicit favors. So in your prostitution, you're the opposite of others. No one runs after you for your favors. You are the very opposite, for you give payment and none is given back. In other words, you sell yourself out to the world and the world still does not give you anything back but even a bitter taste, but you continue to do it. Therefore, this is God's response to them. Therefore, you prostitute, hear the word of the Lord. 
This is what the sovereign Lord says, because you poured out your wealth and exposed your nakedness in the promiscuity with your lovers, and because of your own detestable idols, and because you gave them to your children's blood, therefore I am going to gather all your lovers with whom you found pleasure, those you loved as well as those you hated. I will gather them against you from all around and will strip you in front of them, and they will see all your nakedness. I will sentence you to the punishment of the woman who committed adultery and who shed blood. I will bring upon the blood vengeance of my wrath and jealous anger. Then I will hand you over to your lovers, and they will tear, you, and they will tear down your mounds and destroy your lofty shrines." They will strip you and your clothes and take your fine jewelry and leave you naked and bare. They will bear a mob against you who will stone you and hack you to pieces with swords. They will burn down your houses and inflict punishment on you in the sight of many women. I will put a stop to your prostitution and you will no longer pay your lovers. Then my wrath against you will subside and my jealous anger will turn away from you I will calm and no longer be angry with you. What does this look like? God is saying to Israel, you're cheating on me. (laughs) You're cheating on me, and as a result of cheating on me, I'll hand over exactly what you want. In fact, you can have what you want, but you know what's going to happen if you have what you want? You'll be destroyed by the things you want. You must love me more. You must do what? The commandment? You must love me more. Yeah, we can prostitute yourself to other things. But as you prostitute yourself to other things, it's not going to grab your heart, fill you up. It's not going to make you one. It's not going to make you strong. It's not going to make you anything. It's going to ruin you. It's going to destroy you. And God's wrath is coming your direction. 2 Corinthians 11, for I am a jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. Let it be. Sin is not about breaking the rules. It's about trampling on the heart of God. The severity of the sin is not what you do. It's who you've done it against. God looks at you and says, we have a relationship. We have a commitment. We have a connection. This is my desire for you, that you walk with me through life, and I will forgive everything you bring up. In other words, if you sin, I'll forgive you. In fact, I'll forgive you immediately because I want this relationship to be alive specifically with you. Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Grieve the Holy Spirit means do not make the Holy Spirit sad. Again, it's a crazy religion. God loves you, and us refusing to love him back does what? Makes him sad, according to that passage. Number five, if we are Christ's spouse and we can understand our legal standing you know, when you hear these Christian words about marriage, and we've been talking about these words, you know, you hear the word, you know, commitment, uh, you hear the word uh, loyalty, you hear the word do, words, do not live together, make sure that you, um, you get married, make sure that you go through the ceremony, and what is a ceremony? A ceremony is standing in front of a whole bunch of people that you love, and those people hold you accountable to make sure that that commitment takes place for the rest of your life. You know, you hear these Christian words about what we should do in regards to our marriage. Well, all these Christian words of what we should do in regards to our marriage as husband and woman is what God has done specifically for us. You know, we say the words, God won't forgive me. Won't forgive you? 
I'm completely and entirely committed to you. We're legally bound, and it's not by a signature, it's actually by the cross. My blood died so you can live. My blood was spilled so you can live. This is our covenant relationship. You know, it's easier to just do a you know, performing relationship that stands in front and make the vows and make the statement. God's saying, this is what has connected us. This is how much I love you. What is it? I went to the cross. That is our covenant. Therefore, when you start thinking, oh, God probably won't forgive me. I've been too messed up. Well, that's not the God that we're worshiping. That's not the God that we see. God won't love me. I've done too much wrong. God won't provide for me. God won't help me. God won't give me security. God will not care for me. He says, I went to the cross. You understand the establishment, the covenant relationship that I have given you? Well, look at all the passage in Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. All the way through, you're seeing my commitment to you as a spouse. 2 Corinthians 1.21, now he who established us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Letter A, what would God deny us after giving us his son? What do we deny our mates even after we have a marriage relationship? When God is making this signature and making this signature very, very powerful, says my life is completely to you, I will submit myself to the obedience of the cross. I will submit myself to the cross so you can live. And if I've given you that, what else would I deny you? What else would I deny you? Number six, if we are Christ's spouse and we can understand the joy when the bridegroom comes. We are created for marriage. Marriage is a kind of relationship that um, we were built for. Marriage is a kind of relationship that you long for. Marriage is a kind of relationship that you desire because it gives you so much. The one flesh relationship gives you so much. But where is this longing really coming from? Where is this desire really coming from? Why did God put it into our system so strong to be connected to another individual so close? It's all built for the day that we see God face to face. All of it. It's all built for the day that we see God face to face and we stand in front of his glory. It's, it's built for us to be connected with God when we take every step that is on this earth. I just want to be close to somebody. When I talk, I want somebody to listen. I want somebody to hear me speak. I want somebody to act like they love me. I want somebody to know that they're walking with me. All this relationship that we desire so much is all built on the context of God in us. Revelation 19 says this, let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous act of the saints. What a day that is gonna be. It's gonna be an amazing day, but it's also about the mystery that is mentioned. So much more is going to open our eyes and say, God, I can't believe this is what we were walking towards all my life. God, I would, have, I would have lived a lot differently. God, I would have communicated with you a lot more in the morning. God, I would, have, I would have done a lot more for you. I would have been connected with you. I would have told you I loved you a lot more consistently if I knew that this is what we were walking towards because when you walk towards it, all of a sudden your eyes will be completely open on exactly what God is wanting to do. Now when we think of heaven, we think of, you know, we'll probably just sit in the clouds and we'll sit there you know, on a, 
on a, a harp or, you know, or whatever it is, and, and, and we'll be completely and entirely bored. No, God has given us joys in this earth, and all these joys even have a purpose. They have a meaning. They have an, give us an understanding of who God is. Give us an understanding of even things that are going to take place. Here's one, letter A. God did not create sex to only give yourself to your spouse. God created sex as a foretaste to what it's going to be like to unite with him in heaven. Now, are we saying that when we get to God, we're going to have sex with God? The answer is no, that's not what is going to take place. But look at the passage. And I'm just going to give you the last week's sermon in about two minutes one flesh is what? You are bound legally. You are glued, bound logistically. You are glued, bound dependently. You are glued, bound, fastened emotionally. You are glued, bound, fastened mentally. And you are glued, bound, fastened after the marriage, what? Physically. So we're glued, bound, fastened all the way through life with God, legally, logistically, dependently, emotionally, mentally, but we are not yet physically, but one day what's gonna happen? We're going to see God face to face. And what is that day going to look like? Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things, passage in Ezekiel, it's the same passage that was moved, that was, was stated right before all the adulterous passages were there, the prostitution passages, and this is what led us into the uh, prostitution passages. Ezekiel 16, eight, then I passed by you and I saw you, and behold, you are at the time for love. So I spread my skirt over you and covered your nakedness. I also swore to you and entered into a covenant with you so that you became mine, declares the Lord. God speaking to us. We are in a covenant relationship with him for eternity. What is that gonna look like? Don't know. It's a mystery. It's a mystery that we can't even fathom. A mystery that we cannot even comprehend. We do have something in his word. First John says this, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we shall see what? Him as he is. Saying one day you will see God as he is. Ephesians 5:31 says this, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. What does it mean? I don't know, but it's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. What does it mean? I don't know what's gonna happen there, but it's gonna be great, but it also tells me how I need to live here with the first commandment. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. First commandment, that's what he tells us specifically to do. So I've been speaking a lot on marriage for the last nine weeks, and I've had a couple comments that have come in the notes that says, well, what about me? I'm single and I don't want to get married, or I'm single and my marriage is broken, my relationship is broken, and I don't know what's taking place. Well, there's something cool to say to the single person. Single person is someday, or right now, you have a spouse that is the ultimate spouse. A spouse that will listen to you, a spouse that will hear you, a spouse that will walk with you, a spouse that is connected with you. This is the ultimate spouse who's absolutely perfect, which is God and God is yours. Maybe you're married and you're not satisfied. Married because you're living with maybe even a jerk, maybe somebody that is difficult to live with, or maybe your marriage relationship is just being broken. The good news is that 
you still have a spouse. The ultimate spouse, which is God, who he demands your first love anyway. Or maybe you're married and you're satisfied. Only words I can say is it's going to get a lot greater than that. <laughs> it's going to get a lot better the day that we see the Lord. God, this is a, a crazy concept that you're the bridegroom and we are the bride. It's a concept, God, that um, benefits us <laughs> uh, to the extreme. But it's also a concept, God, that you want us to know. You want us to live by. You want us to abide by. God, I just pray, God, that as we look at this concept that we are loved by you, that we would show you love back, that we would embrace you just as aggressively as you've embraced us. God, this is a profound mystery, one flesh relationship. We understand it to an extent in regards to our husbands and wives, but we don't understand it to an extent of you and us. There's gonna be a lot, God, that's gonna be shown to us the day that we see you. We look forward to that day. And I just pray, God, that as of right now, that we live for that day. We love you in Christ's name, amen.